Hey, pod listeners. As we grow our show, we'd love your help. If you have any NBA lovers in your life, will you share this podcast with them? This helps us continue to expand our footprint and increase our reach. Thanks for joining us for this episode. And now, on to the show. Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined as always by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and of course, our namesake, the venerable D Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, guys, in this Week in Review, we are going to first speak to our largest fan base, which is our Blazer listeners. <laughs> so pay attention, Todd and Sherwood. <laughs> it is cold and icy in Portland, but the Blazers are on fire after winning four straight. <laughs> the hope with CJ and Nurk out was that we could just keep things afloat, but that is not how Lillard, Lillard and company see things. Uh, to steal a Mike Tomlin line, this team doesn't live in their fears. They live in their hopes. <laughs> <laughs> and last night, Lillard dueled with Luca, and the Blazers survived a late rally to win by three. I am finding, guys, that Luca is much more enjoyable to watch when he's not playing your favorite team. <laughs> um, so when he's going up against the rest of the league, to me, he's a, a crafty, versatile dynamic player that truly looks like a once in a generation talent but when he's going up against the blazers he strikes me as whiny entitled <laughs> and a flopping prima donna <laughs> too, too harsh <laughs> i think he heard what we said last week <laughs> i think so <laughs> but i do i i maybe i should take it for granted i think maybe uh, Mavericks might say Mavericks fans might be saying the same thing about Lillard because he was uh, complaining on a lot of calls. Well. <laughs> <laughs> In other news, uh, what started out as the most heartwarming story of the season, the Atlanta Hawks are starting to flounder. They've been knocked out of the eighth spot in the East after a couple of tough losses. Uh, in a, a recent game, uh, Trey Young was clothesline at the end of the game against the Mavs and no it wasn't his own teammate John Collins who clotheslined him <laughs> I was gonna ask Willie Klotzstein <laughs> uh, and then Trey got fined for being upset that nobody called a foul when he got slammed to the ground and it just seems that was a turning point guys it's been all downhill for the Hawks since then it's worth noting uh, the Wizards are only two games back of the Hawks of our vaunted <laughs> Atlanta Hawks so are you serious they're only, exactly <laughs> Watch out, D. Look, Watch look out. out. Scott Brooks is coming for your job. <laughs> the, the fantasy did, team is faltering. Did you guys see the Jackie McMullen piece on Trey Young? No. He, his college coach, Long Kruger, because <laughs> they were they were just basically he's been, he's been the same player since he was fourteen. He just dominates the ball. I mean, he's fourteen. Totally, try, try like four, I think. Yeah, he's they, totally he's totally arrogant and cocky. Um, you know, cause he has to be from his perspective because of his stature and, you know, he just plays that he's always played that way. And it's so funny cause his college coach was like, yeah, 
we tried to play him off the ball. He loves having the ball in his hand. And we, tr- his fresh, his, his one year in Oklahoma, we tried to play him off the ball, but he's really bad off the ball, so it doesn't really work. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, that's not, it's never good. And his dad, his dad was quoted like, yeah, sometimes I cringe at the way he talks and treats his teammates and people. Like basically, everyone, like a lot of people, hate Trey Young over the years. Like this is John Collins is not the first so of course they they tried to say that that was a total you know contrived thing and he and john collins get along great etc etc which i think which i think was the uh you know the flag that actually there is there is problems in atlanta well you know they went into the free agency pool and the only the only way they could get a few guys to add to their team was to sign the overpay two euros to come join i don't think they'd heard heard about his uh, reputation from oklahoma i didn't hadn't uh, transferred yet well i'm i'm sticking to my guns on this one i had him in the eighth spot if i could do it all over again i haven't lost confidence yet it's still a pretty weak conference i think they can uh, find a way to get back at it guys the utah jazz uh, meanwhile are continuing to confound the league and destroy every opponent uh, the latest top team in their wake was the milwaukee bucks the scouting reports on the jazz are starting to read this They're slow, lacking depth and versatility, predictable offense, and impossible to beat. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Anthony Davis will be out uh, a couple of weeks to rest his Achilles. Uh, This will give the Jazz an opportunity to widen their lead at number one and increase their chances of avoiding the Nuggets in round one. (laughs) I, I saw someone, I think it was in Buck's Twitter, when uh, the Jazz handled the Bucks this last week, they they made a great comparison because I think I made a comment called them like the poor man's New Jersey or sorry poor man's Brooklyn Nets and uh, got a little guff for that. But he this guy compared them to the you know 2014 Spurs, you know where you had all that shooting around Duncan. Duncan's at the end of his career, but he's still like great defensively. He finishes really well. And then they had a bunch of guys who could just – and they just zipped the ball around. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that highlight where they just, like, went yes. all the way around the perimeter twice and then yes. Bogdanovich, you know, tossed it into Gobert for a dunk. And it that is the best comparison I've seen so far in terms of, like, their best case, which is you have all these guys who can pass and shoot, and they all sh- want to share the ball. And like we were talking about earlier, I mean, they're, they're playing so well, even with – you know, Conley gets hurt. And then Mitchell and Bogdanovich have not, you know, they're not playing at their like top of their capabilities yeah. so far. I mean, it's just, you know, it helps when your sixth man is playing like the greatest basketball. <laughs> He's like the NBA Jam flamethrower right now. Jordan Clarkson. It's crazy. So in that scenario, is Royce O'Neal quiet Leonard? <laughs> Yeah, in three years he's gonna get injured and bitterly leave Utah and go go lead uh, the Raptors to the title. You never know. What? Does and that Joe make, Ingles does, is Manu? Manu. Uh, I think that makes Derek Favors uh, Boris Diaw. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> I mean, Donovan Mitchell probably should play more like Tony Parker and stop shooting pull up threes as much. So maybe. Yeah take that to account we we have i realize you mentioned luca hearing us we we've gone after a couple guys in the podcast so far and they keep responding i mean Sha- Shaq better 
get out of the way. It's really the three <laughs> love NBA podcast that challenges people and they respond. <laughs> We're still waiting for comment from Royce O'Neal. Well, I, I think Devin Booker actually sent us an email asking us to go after him. He needs a little yeah, kick in the pants. <laughs> I mean, for I mean, for a guy that just beat—I don't really know that you guys follow the NBA gossip mill more than I do. I mean, I didn't even know Paul George dated uh, Doc Rivers' daughter before <laughs> he, she married into the Curry clan. But there was something this last week with Ben Simmons and Booker, right? Like they had a. One of them had a girlfriend, the other one, right? The Jenners, Kardashians or something, and they played. Was that what happened? Where And Booker hit, like, went for 35, right, in his eye? And that was a little – there's a little drama there, right? Right, Michael? Yeah, I, I, I think Blake Griffin showed up, too, at the end. So it was a little – it was even more complicated. But I don't I don't know. I'm not, I was I'm, – I'm getting a little past over the hill on some of those topics. Do, I mean, do you guys think, though, that Booker – where is he in your in your rankings right now? He, the team is doing great. They're, I think they're 15 and nine, 16 and nine right now. You know, a lot of that's due to Chris Paul. You know, they're really rolling. They kind of went through some ups and downs and they've been playing great recently, but Booker's stats aren't where they were, you know, last year. Part of it may be just giving up the ball more to Chris Paul, but yeah, where does Booker, where does Booker sit for you right now? Is he an all-star? What are your thoughts? Can we give, can we give Booker a kick? Just like we've helped Luca and Royce <laughs> O'Neal along the way. <laughs> well, we've obviously talked about th- this type of player, this class of player, a number of times on the pod over the last several weeks and months in, in the lead up of the Harden trade, you know, talking about players like Ben Simmons or Booker or Murray quite a bit. I mean, and now the newer era of guys with Tyler Hero, things of that ilk. And, you know, Booker is a guy who I always, I, I sort of, I was, I had been skeptical of him up until probably last year in terms of he had a bit of looter and a riot syndrome, sort of kind of got his, but was not really ever sure if he was going to be a winning type of player. Uh, and it, he just, he continued to put up the, the statistics that supported some sort of high volume you know, Clay Thompson light version of, of a basketball player that that he can really shoot the ball. He has some creative juices, you know, and he was, he was kind of that lead sled dog on, albeit a bad team, but it's what really got me excited about Phoenix. I think coming into this season and what's been interesting is he hasn't been able to take a, a leap in concert with a player like CP three. Right. I mean, that's the really odd thing. And that's what I'm so curious to see how the rest of the season plays out for, for Phoenix, because I think he, in large part is, is a key to their success going forward. I mean, right so far Phoenix's success has been buoyed by Paul and, and in large part bridges exceeding expectations. Um, and then Aiton and Booker, you know, ha- have been fine, but they haven't been what I think they were, they were hoping uh, you would get there. And, and Booker is the primary one there. I mean, he's really, it's a really curious thing. And so I don't think he's an all-star this year. Certainly, I think he um, has some areas to grow and to work. I think anytime you're trying to integrate with a player like Paul is, is probably an interesting experience. But I never would have expected for me to be grouping him more in in the Jamal Murray camp than I than I where I am today. Um, where whereas I, I I considered him firmly in that sort of next level of of upper echelon of the kind of up and coming guards, but. And a D, where do you see Booker fitting into the kind of the hierarchy here in the league? 
Yeah, I thought he um, – I just feel like he's been on the rise for the last two or three years, and I expected that to not only continue but to take another big step in that direction. So uh, I'm a bit surprised, and I don't know if it's sort of a reaction to the shock of it and it's it's still early. Maybe he does need more time to adapt to this new team and Chris Paul. Um, but but I definitely went from probably overselling him to now going to the the other extreme. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I agree too. He's not he's not an all star right now. Um, again, maybe something's going on. You know, those guys like sometimes you can find out. Okay, I mean he's missed a few games because of injuries. Is there something nagging injury that's that's you know not being talked about? But. Even just the eye test, I, I have not been too impressed with him so far. But what about you, Ron? No, I agree. I, I, I was hoping to see another sort of mini jump in his game. And you could see a situation where you know, where Chris Paul was going to get him some easier shots. He would have to work as hard to score. And so his efficiency will continue to grow. So while his counting stats are still, you know, he's still – you know, he's you know averaging 24 and a half I mean, he's down a little bit that way um it's but it's not yeah his efficiency is is lowered and he's not taking that jump and if anything he's taking a step back or at least a half step back now he is only 24 years old I mean he turned 24 in October it's his sixth season so you'd think you know it's just he is he was very young for coming that's out insane one and done i mean it's it's nuts totally those kentucky guys yeah that's right just 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 draft kentucky guys and you'll be you'll be in good shape as we talked about last week so he will he will come out of this and, and chris paul is just a dominant personality and a dominant person and he's still really good you know someone point, i think it was nate jones on twitter pointed out that you know, LeBron isn't the only freak of nature. I mean, Chris Paul is a freak of nature. I mean, he came out in 05, right? So he's still, I mean, this is 16 years in the league and he has still got it. I mean, at point guard, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's in a way, and he's not gifted in the same way that LeBron is where, you know, LeBron is just so physical, more physical than anyone, you know, outside of Giannis that he has that advantage. And Chris Paul doesn't, but he's still so good. So, Let's see how the rest of the season plays out, but it would be good to see him getting, you know, more adjusted to Chris Paul and see those efficiencies increase. But we'll see. I got to make a quick Chris Paul analogy because minus all the championship rings, he reminds me a little bit of, of Tom Brady, where like a couple years ago, you were like, <laughs> okay, the age is starting to show. Has, has he lost it? Has he lost a step? And then all of a sudden he makes this this surge and you're like, wow, he's as good as he ever was yeah. before. Yeah. He hasn't lost anything that what should be a point where he's he should start to look like he's over the hill. And then he goes to OKC and part of that maybe was playing under the with with Harden and maybe there was a nagging hamstring injury. Maybe Brady was a little bit injured his last season with the Patriots. <laughs> right. or just didn't have any wide receivers. Uh, 
so I, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if that works or not, but that's my little football analogy tonight. I feel like we have to have at least one every episode. Yeah, I mean, besides the seven titles, they're basically the same guy. So it's really, it's really spot on. No, I the, okay. Here's the crazy thing about Chris Paul. I mean, there was a point in time, three or four years into his career, where he was assumed to have a similar trajectory as a type of player like Brandon Roy, right? A really dynamic, capable offensive player. I mean, right, almost verging on transcendent, but also, I mean, both Roy and Paul were considered to be have these like fundamental flaws in their knees that was going to severely limit their capabilities as players. I mean, and, and that's the crazy thing is like Roy had like this, this, this transcendent five-year run, right? I mean, to the point where Kobe is basically saying he's the guy who's the heir apparent, right? At one point. And then before we know it, it's, it's, it's over. Right. And, and Paul was a similar case. I mean, they, I mean, his knees were basically a ticking time bomb and turns out that, you know, his biomechanics for whatever reason didn't shake out that way. So I do think it's sort of a crazy Testament, uh, right. When you call, you know, LeBron, not the only freak, I think it's so, it's so accurate, right. It's just to see a guy like CP evolve his game time and time again and again it's why i'm so surprised that it di- it hasn't worked with booker in the way necessarily we thought it would i mean i get that cp is ball dominant i get that he's sort of old dog new tricks and and wants things his way but he also went to okc last year you know molded them into a five seed and basically played in a perpetual three-guard lineup with sga and dennis Schroeder. i mean the fact that he was able to thrive and empower those players on that team to that type of success. I mean, it gave me all the hope in the world heading into this year with him in Phoenix. I mean, if I was in Phoenix's situation and I was trading for CP three, I would look at that OKC year more than anything else as a testament to kind of why I was making that trade. And now that the fact that that kind of hasn't happened, I don't know. It's just wild to me that, it hasn't coalesced in the way that we'd expected. Now, again, there's 17 and nine. There's a lot of games left this year. There's a lot of, I mean, there's potentially multiple years, right? I mean, CP has another year on that contract. Booker's going to be around a long time. Um, but it, it, it's, there's a grander thought there that I think is really fascinating in terms of these young players across the league. Uh, that, that to me is just, I think I often take for granted with these assumptions of these guys coming in, right? That, that four, five, six, seven years into their career, they're sort of going to be what they are. And you get really excited about these players, whether it's whether it's Booker or Mitchell or Murray or Tatum and Brown. I mean, even Doncic last week, right? We're talking yeah. about these guys that we think are going to be in this upper echelon, right? Among the you know, half dozen to dozen players that truly fundamentally matter when we're talking about winning NBA titles and, and each of them to their own, you know, issues have these fundamental challenges that are kind of inhibiting their ability to get over that last hump. And meanwhile, they've gone over multiple humps just to get to the place they are where they're in that sort of second or third wave of, of stars in the league. Right. I mean, it, it, I found myself reflecting on that this last you know week or so as I've been watching some of these guys. It, it, it's almost it's it's how much crazier it is to then recognize what Giannis has done, even though we're getting a little yawned about his perpetual sort of superstarness. It, it's just insane that a player like Giannis was able to ascend in the way he was to go all of a sudden from fifteenth pick in the draft, sort of uncertain future, and all of a sudden 
back-to-back MVP averaging basically, you know, 30, 12, and 5 every night. I mean, it's just insane to see him have ascended like that. Uh, And it's so it's going to be fascinating to see how, you know, some of these young guys come along. Well, and just one other point on CP3 is there was a discussion, you know, it it was over a decade ago, if he or Darren Williams was the best point guard in the in the league yes. for a few years there after they came out together in 2005 Darren Williams retired 4 years ago and last year Chris Paul made second team all NBA so it's i mean again it's just it's amazing what he's been able to do especially as a point guard and you know not a large point guard you know his ability to still threaten people with you know, getting in the lane enough where he can still get to that pull up almost whenever he wants to do it. And his continued competitiveness and his engagement is it's just it's just incredible. And and this is where it's tough where you say for these guys, it's like, oh, if you didn't win a title, if you don't deliver in the biggest moments, it just you know, just kind of toss you to the side. Like what Chris Paul is doing, the fact that he is he got dumped by Harden in Oklahoma city. And then he gets traded again to a team that has no history. He's been in the playoffs in over a decade and he's just going for it and going at it and leading those teams. That is impressive. That is, you know, speaks to his character and his leadership. Cause he's not, he's not just sort of like saying, cut me and let me go where I want to go. Let me go to LA or, you know, just kind of enjoy myself. He's like taking it on, man. And that guy is, I mean, he's a little crazy. He's, he's crazy competitive. And it's, it's amazing. And, and the, the Suns are not that good. I mean, like, you know, Booker, Paul, Bridges, the big three, I think we talked about at the beginning. But, I mean, Aiden, Aiden's not progressing in the way, you know, you'd hope to see. He has flashes. I mean, they're playing Frank Kaminsky at, you know, at the four, in part because of some injuries to Crowder and other people. But it's it's not like they have this – you know, they have all of this talent. I mean, they really rely a lot on Chris Paul. And and like we said, Booker is not is not adjusted the way you'd like to see. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just so fun. Whenever Chris Paul's on league pass or he's playing, it's just still so fun to watch him. I mean, how, how long do you think he can do this, you guys? Like, I mean, how many how many more years do you think he has? How many more years do you think LeBron has? I mean, obviously you have Bronny James coming out at some point which is, you know, the motivation for LeBron to stay around as long as possible. But, you know, how long does Chris Paul have both at, you know, still being an all-star type player? And then how much longer does he stay after that? If Brady's the bar now for NFL, which is now like (laughs) age 45 or 46, I think the age is 40 for these guys. Yeah. Because, yes, they don't take the shots to the head like like quarterbacks do, but the pounding on the knees – on the hardwood yes. floor, that has got to catch up at some point. And I will say too, with with Paul's legacy, we just don't know how many championships Dan Marino would have won if he was the quarterback for the New England Patriots in the early two thousands, <laughs> etc. Just saying, <laughs> never know. Well, I think this is the funny thing. I, I think as fans, we we paint this picture that guys like Paul or LeBron are are going to sort of paint this picture of when they're going to walk away, right? They're going to win the title and they're going to hit the game winning shot and they're going to walk off like Jordan in 98. 
and even Jordan couldn't resist coming back. Like I, I don't know if any of these guys are gonna are they're so I mean the the characteristics, the traits. I mean it was so evident in the Last Dance with a guy like Jordan, but LeBron and CP3 among all of the current players are the most similar to this. Uh, is that these guys aren't going anywhere until the game tells them they can't do it. I mean I just. I mean, look what? at Mello. Look at Mello. I mean, he's like the best example of what you're saying. I mean, he was – I was looking back. I mean, the Thunder dropped him. He was with the Rockets barely at all. They dropped him. And then it was a year until the Blazers picked him up during the season. And then he just starts playing for them. And, you know, he had that explosion in the fourth quarter against the Sixers and won the game for them last week. I mean, it's it's amazing. <laughs> you know, he just, these guys love to ball. They love to play. It's it's. I love it. I love seeing these guys – Push and push and push. Do you, do you think LeBron, if LeBron was like a 15 and 5 and 4 player, would he still want to play at that level? Which is almost not quite half of his production now. Or if he has a, a drop off, is that is that well, when he's done? If he can't play at this this high level. I know Jordan Jordan's was a little more complicated because he, he knew he wasn't going to be at that level when he came back and he knew his team sucked. You know, and it was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to help these younger guys, even though he mostly bullied them. But that's <laughs> well, I've always thought with LeBron, he could do the magic, you know, like the magic when he came back for that, like 15 or 20 game stretch, you know, after he retired and he came back and played power forward. If you've seen video of that, though, magic is not in shape at all. <laughs> he no, is like no. he is like he's got some he's definitely got power forward poundage on him at that point. <laughs> but I, I just think LeBron could easily he can easily move to like a power forward and go in the post and like just do post moves and pass and like do stuff and still be an effective player in transition. Like, I think he could play for a while. And I think the fact that his son has a chance, he's like a top oh, right. 40 high school recruit. I think he's a sophomore. So there's like a, I mean, Le, we know LeBron plans things out in advance. He's sort of got the Michael Eaney spreadsheet of life going, you know, and there's some green, <laughs> there's some open free agent years, you know, we'll see if it's in New York or LA or, you know, I mean, I don't know if Bronny's actually going to – I don't know if he'll make it. He hasn't had the physical capabilities his dad does, but he's still like a top 40 high school recruit. So he's in the conversation to have an NBA career. And, you know, if you were a team – like if we talked about it before, but if you're a team in three – I guess it would be four years. If they get rid of the age restriction, then it's even earlier. But say it's in three years. If, if you have a top pick – and let's say Bronny James is a second-round grade – how high do you draft him just knowing his dad is coming with him? <laughs> you know, it's like even LeBron at 38, you know, 37. It's like maybe you just say, hey, give, we'll get you the first round, Bronny. <laughs> just send, send your dad. Come, bring your dad along. I mean, if the Clippers sent away, you know, a half dozen draft picks and pick swaps for PG and Kawhi, I mean, it's got to be – you got to be willing to take Bronny James in the top five, right? I mean, that's the crazy thing. Now – it's all fit at a certain point. I mean, I th I do think the kid thing is real. I'm sure it has some degree of legs, but I think LeBron until he hits a place literally where the league is telling him or the game is telling him he can't perform. He, he's going to keep creating these teams, right? I mean, it, it's like not, it, it's not unfathomable to me that in like four years, he, he's still sort of doing his own sort of 
post prime, you know, maybe at a, like a slightly reduced cr- clip, but still performing. And he kind of looks at AD and goes, "You know what? I'm going to go uh, <laughs> trade you in, buddy." I mean, he's, for he's a new it, model, <laughs> he's done it three times now. I mean, seriously, he's like, "Oh, you know, which one of these guys?" Ah, Jokic seems fun to play with. T- he's been divorced four times. He's going to be <laughs> a new trophy wife. They keep. I keep getting older, and they keep staying the same age. You know. <laughs> well, and that's the. I mean, and he's been pleased with every decision. It really. I mean, that's the crazy thing, right? I mean, that's what he he. The fact that he basically stabbed the heat in the back and went to went home to Cleveland, and and is sort of you know outside of Pat Riley, basically, you know everyone still loves him for it, and that basically you know was able to pull up the most miraculous comeback and win a title in Cleveland and then basically message for a year that he was leaving, go to LA and win another title all the while upgrading his supporting cast at each stop. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, and I, I sort of hold the opinion that if you go to a team, you play there for four years and you make it to the finals four consecutive times and you win two titles that it's okay. It's not really a stab in the back, <laughs> you know. Riley, you got you got your two titles, not four, yeah. not five, not six. Only Riley, only Riley is yeah. is bitter about that. But he did. But the record is that they drafted a guy they thought LeBron wanted in the first round. They signed a free agent that they got just because they thought LeBron was coming back. So they definitely, like, he definitely didn't signal to them, like, hey, I'm I'm heading out. Like, this is happening. So, I mean, I just feel bad for, like, Kevin Love because, you know, from afar, he was like the apple of LeBron's eye. And then he, he he's averaging 25 and 10 in Minnesota. He's, like, the, one of the best post players in the in – the, uh, in the league he's a great outlet passer it's going to be so fun playing together and then you know kevin love showed up and he's six seven and a half and about 260 and he can't jump and he's like wait a second he's like next time i'm getting ad man i'm gonna get the real deal yeah (laughs) and then Kyrie leaves because he knows it's gonna happen i mean that was that was the part of that that i that i think was you know was sort of cynical from the media in terms of the criticism that Kyrie faced for that because yeah who in the right mind would leave the best player of of the era when you have a chance to run it back and you're one of two teams who has a chance to win the title and you say no I want to get out of here and I'll go wherever I'll go to Boston and try and build something there for a year whatever it ended up being but he knew LeBron was leaving I mean he was the only person is sort of the you know the the one-eyed man in the kingdom of the blind is king because he he knew what was going to happen. He's like, I'm going to do it to you before you do it to me. It's like, you know, we we've, we've given a couple of relationship analogies, but this is when you know someone's breaking up with you for sure, and it's coming, and you're like, I'm going to preempt that. I'm t- I'm pulling the plug. <laughs> you can't break up with me if I break up with you first. <laughs> and everyone's like, Why would you break up with LeBron? What were you thinking? But he knew LeBron was piecing out, man, and he just wanted to get there first. Well, that's the crazy. The, the way this entire process has been treated is so is like such a fascinating use case for how the media engages with these guys. I mean, LeBron bails on Miami because he clearly knew that like the 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 end years were coming for Wade and his legs. I mean, it, it just it's so you know when he looked at the the writing on the wall and he kind of upgraded his supporting cast. And at the same time, right a few years later, Kyrie basically sees yeah, this coming right and, yeah. and, and, and he gets absolutely crapped on 
I mean, and outside of the shape of the globe, Kyrie's been remarkably correct about a, a prescient about a lot of different topics that that he's kind prescient of or to, prophetic. Yeah, one one of the one of the one of the both. I mean, the fact that he was talking about the bubble in advance, and meanwhile, in the middle of the bubble, there was a boycott. I mean, the, the, some of the yeah. things he's been talking about in terms of the so, you know. Um, the things going on in our culture and our society. I just, it's just sort of, it's a quite, it's a lot. I mean, Kyrie has a lot of stuff going on in his head, obviously, but it's just, it's kind of, it's interesting that if you look back to that was the point where he exercised that judgment for the first time and, and he went to Boston and obviously didn't work out, but it is, uh, it's kind of a fascinating um, kind of example of how some of these guys can be treated at, at different points in time. Speaking of Kyrie, it's also great to see the holacracy in Brooklyn continuing on where, you know, um, Kyrie and James Harden got together and they agreed that. Oh, they worked you know, it out. That James Harden should be the point guard. You know, that was brilliant, brilliant decision by Kyrie <laughs> to let the best ball, all the ball offensive player in the game to actually have the ball in his hand all the time. That was up to Kyrie. That was all so, his call. <laughs> so after they agreed on that, do they go into, they knock on Nash's office door and say, hey, coach, we made a decision. <laughs> no, they don't uh, refer to him as coach. They say Steve. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> They actually met, Mike. <laughs> they mentioned it to Mike D'Antoni, who, and they asked him for him to convey the message to Steve. So, exactly, they it's a game of telephone, and they have Steve tell the owner and, and Sean Marks, and this is what they're doing. So, the holacracy is alive and well. Tom Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson would could never be so proud. <laughs> It's like it's so funny because all that really matters is that Kevin Durant is, is just as good as he was two years ago. I mean, that's 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 their yeah. team right now. I mean, he is incredible, and if he does that, you know, you know, you know, Harden and uh, Kyrie can have as many you know peace talks as they want to have and hash out you know world peace if they need to. It doesn't really matter because Durant is is right there in terms of the best player in the game again. We're at the, you know, nearly the halfway point of the season. All-Star break is quickly approaching as misguided as that probably is. Whether players like it or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but well, one topic we talked about was was looking forward towards the end of the year. As we look to the playoffs, obviously the standings are starting to – they're shaking out a little bit. There's still quite a bit of a mix-up here right in the middle. But, you know – is there any specific matchups that you guys are particularly getting excited about looking forward to what the playoffs things you're hopeful for? It could be in the first round. It could be in the second round, uh, you know, or, you know, the conference finals or even the finals, but is there any specific matchups that you're dying to see, you know, five is five or seven games of seven games of, I guess, going forward in terms of uh, the playoffs here. I know there's a few for me, but I'll let one of you guys kick it off. Nuggets, Jazz, <laughs> and and the L.A. battle we were all expecting yes. to see last year. Lakers, yes. Clippers. Yeah, for me, it's Lakers, Clippers. I mean, I hope both PG and AD are healthy because <laughs> if it, it'll swing one or the other if, if one of them isn't and one of them is not. But, yeah, that's the game. Those are the games I want to see is – you know, and it'd be great if by the time they play, we actually can get more fans back in. If, if we're at that point, I don't know if, you know, at this pace, I don't know if Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, will let anyone in until twenty twenty four. The way the way things are going in California, but 
you know, it, that would be a really fun, fun series. But yeah, tell, tell us more about Jazz and Nuggets, uh, D. What, uh, well, what do you see happening there? I'm sort of giving the Jazz a hard time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I understand there's a few Jazz fans out there. And I mean, it would be intriguing. They, you know, they want their revenge. So I don't know where they would meet. Uh, maybe second round again. I don't know. But I do say, like, you're talking about the Suns and. Like whoever the Suns are going to play, I know that's a matchup I'm going to tune in. I'm I'm really uh, intrigued to see how they do in the playoffs. I actually hope that they don't play the Blazers because I just want to enjoy watching Phoenix in the first round, <laughs> and that would be stressful to actually play them. Like I said, with Luca, I hold a whole nother opinion of everybody when they actually play the Blazers. <laughs> that's so. true. They go down. <laughs> I, I think Jokic was like public enemy number one in Portland a few years ago during that that uh, semi Western Gosh. Conference semifinals matchup. Yeah, but I, I will say I think Phoenix and Denver played I think like a baseball home and home series or or back to back games here a couple of weeks ago and they both went to overtime and I just I I was watching with just such excitement about the prospect of seven games between. These two teams, you know, if they settle into sort of the middle of the Western Conference, whether they're three, six or four five or meet in the second round, however it shakes out, you know, they're two teams that I think, you know, playoff matchups for me, something that's really fun is is things that are anticipated, but also just interesting matchup complications. Obviously, these they're two teams that are fundamentally built differently um, and they're obviously predicated on kind of different um pieces but they both have sort of savant players in terms of Paul and Jokic and so watching you know Phoenix and and, and kind of seeing what they can gel at can kind of congeal as here in the playoffs with all these different guys kind of playing together for the first time or playing as their sort of new selves for the first time and then Denver's um, kind of a team that we're obviously quite comfortable with following the last couple of years in the playoffs, but obviously Jokic again has continued to, to ascend. And so seeing him in that lead kind of playmaking role against a defense like Phoenix is to me is a pretty exciting uh, uh, thing to look forward to. I'm also excited to see who comes out of the play in tournament. Cause that's a new wrinkle this year. Um, or I guess, you know, falling up on the bubble. And I really hope Golden State, you know, gets into the playoffs in the back end just so we can see them against some, one of the big boys. You know, if they come in the seventh or eighth spot when the play-in or they even six, they play one of the L.A. teams or Utah, you know, because Steph could – he could turn a couple games by himself um, the way he's been playing and – that would be really fun to see. And then I, I think in the East, I mean, the East is so weird right now that there's a lot of teams that are I mean, shocker, but there's a lot of teams that are struggling for me. It's just seeing the Brooklyn nets who, how they do. Um, you know, we, we haven't talked about them too much. I think we're all taking a wait and see approach with them, but I think we'll learn a lot in that first round of the playoffs and see if they can sort of, take a step defensively like it'd be great to see them take some steps during the regular season but it'll be interesting to see them <laughs> who they play you know if they can turn it on in that type of environment so they're a team that's just going to be fun to watch um 
but I guess it's hard to tell because the, the, the back half of the East is so even. I mean, again, you know, the the Wizards are only two games back of the of the Hawks. And you know they're. I gotta verify that two and a half sure games back of the Heat, the Bulls, the Raptors. <laughs> you know, three games back of the Hornets. Yeah, it, any game, any uh, playoff game, Lamelo's in. I'm in for that too. Nice. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up Brooklyn. I think a Brooklyn Philly conference finals to me mm. would just be basketball heaven. I think yeah. there's such a like I said with with Phoenix and Denver. I'm a sucker for kind of weird matchups that I think yeah, would gel good. well together. And and that game, you know, Philly, I think traditionally that matchup would concern me for Philly just because I don't know if they could score enough. I mean, obviously they, they've had a tendency in the Brett Brown era to be a little stuck in the mud. Um, but obviously under Doc Rivers and, and a new, kind of a revamped roster, I think Philly has the capabilities to get out and, and – uh, and score with a team like Brooklyn. And, you know, I think Embiid can potentially throw some serious kind of serious problems at, I mean, basically anyone in the league, let's say, but, but particularly a team like Brooklyn who's built really without any sort of viable center. I mean, sorry, apologies to Deandre Jordan, but (laughs) Embiid is just going to like eat his lunch and breakfast and his dinner. Right. It's just, that type of series kind of is pretty fun. And on the other side, again, Brooklyn's going to throw issues at everybody, but Philly is a team that potentially is well structured to actually defend all these different perimeter guys. Right. I mean, you have Thibel, Danny green, Ben Simmons, right. Guys that are sort of renowned for their defensive capabilities. You know, that just, it's such a fun X's and O's series, and then you have capable coaches that theoretically at least will pivot and evolve and, and kind of change strategies um, versus, you know, again, the stuck-in-the-mud Brett Brown offense that, you know, uh, you could predict that it wasn't going to change. So that, to me, is a series I look forward to. I hope we get in the in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, if that happens, that, that means Milwaukee lost ahead of schedule in large part, which would be another – you know, interesting. Ahead of schedule or right on schedule? Right on schedule, yeah. And I have them coming out of the East, man, and I'm feeling a little, if, a little angsty about that. Just to tease that out a little bit more, guys, so who who would Embiid guard in that series? I think the assumption would be that, you know, unless they can get, you know, a Drummond or some of these other guys that are out there. I mean, we haven't talked about it, but, you know, Drummond's being pulled to try and work out a deal or we'll get a buyout most likely. You know, Blake Griffin is now – sort of in talks, you know, I mean, he has like a year and a half left on his deal. So that that's and interesting. Yeah. <laughs> a year and a half on his deal. I think it's a half year in his career. Just to yeah, be clear. Point. I agree. <laughs> I mean, you, guys are, you guys are cold, man. But we'll see. We'll see, you know, what happens there. But like, assuming they don't get anyone else like a drum or anyone else to play center, you know, do they go, does Nash and D'Antoni, they go small and, make Embiid find someone to guard on the perimeter and just let him go crazy, you know, on po- in the post. And then who does Ben Simmons guard? Are they, are you put him on Durant? I mean, I haven't seen enough of them playing so far, or you put him on Harden. I mean, he's one of the only guys that could slow some of those guys down. Like what do you, what do you see the mashups coming out? I mean, Simmons was guarding Lillard most of the game against the Blazers the other night. So, I wouldn't be surprised to have if he guarded Harden. 
Yeah. Um, I would actually start if I were Rivers. I would play Thibault 40 minutes a game and decide which of the big three I want to shut down because that guy is an incredible <laughs> defensive player. I know. I'm surprised he only gets 20 minutes because he is a shutdown guy. Well, it's weird they don't play more zone, actually, because Thibault played the zone. He was a great one-on-one defender, but they played zone his last year or two at UW, and he was just – he's incredible at the top of a 2-3. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is – they they played a little bit of it with Simmons. I think maybe when Embiid missed a game recently, and it was just – like seeing those two at the top of a 2-3 is, is terrifying because <laughs> they're so long and aggressive and they're so quick and they have their hands at anything. So, you know, you, you wouldn't want a 2-3 a team with four 40% three-point shooters. But it's – it's that guy – yeah, Thibault, if he could just shoot. I mean, it's just keep working on that jumper, man, because if you could do that – can make threes he he rarely shoots yeah his percentage isn't horrible but he is just there to do two things steal the ball block shot well three things steal ball block shots and shut down guys yeah well it is an interesting i think i think it's a great question just to see where simmons would land because that to me is drives the rest of the pieces and i think for that reason i would i would imagine simmons kind of focuses on harden i think particularly if he's going to be playing truly a point guard type of position because uh, then you could i mean theoretically you start off harris on durant at that point and even i mean Embiid theoretically i think would take some shots at guarding durant um and, and wonder if that length gives him some challenges and then you know, you have Danny Green or, or even Seth Curry or, you know, Thibel kind of being able to guard Kyrie and, and kind of, you know, rotate around on the perimeter players. Uh, to me, those matchups make the most sense and they still maintain some level of flexibility from um, your kind of defensive back line. I mean, to me, the biggest the biggest thing that Embiid can provide is making sure he can kind of stay near the rim. I mean, that that's where if I'm, if I'm the nets and I'm Steve Nash or, 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 or you know, the, the committee that, that leads the rotation conversations, <laughs> the holacracy, uh, the holacracy, <laughs> I would stay away from trying to go small just because, you know, getting Jeff green, if he's on the floor, he's, you we've talked about him. this in the past, right? It's like guys can, even if they can kind of shoot it, you know, Joel Embiid is going to live with, Jeff Green shooting threes, you know, particularly above the break, right? Well before he ventures far away from the rim and can be a difference maker in that area of the court. I mean, he's going to live with that much more than letting any of the big three guys really light him up. And so, to me, that's where Brooklyn's lack of depth in this first year as sort of a super team really is going to harm them. Now, they might just score enough points, and those guys are really good, but um, it, it that that those dynamics are the things that get me really excited about that series. Um, you know, hopefully in the conference finals, who, who would you guys take right now? Like if, if it happened tomorrow, um, cause the Sixers, I mean, we're, we're talking about it and the Sixers do, they have a lot of guys you can throw at a team and obviously Embiid's the X factor. And like Michael, you were saying is, can he, can he, play in a way that allows him to play his game defensively because he's so great defensively. But they have some guys, even the three starters, you have to hide Seth Curry on someone, but the other three guys can guard a wide variety of players. Um, but they're actually only, it's kind of interesting, they're, their defensive ratings only, I mean, they're in the top 10, but they're not, 
I would have thought their defense would be even better. Obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking at clean the glass stats, which I think throws out garbage time and some of the noise with it. But I, I'm sort of surprised they're not higher on that list. Obviously, the Nets are towards the bottom. But yeah, Lovegreen, you you got you got the Nets. Yeah, I got the Nets. Uh, I mean, the 76ers gave up 40 points to Clarkson tonight. Or no, he may have scored more than 40, but. Uh... At last count. Uh, yeah, at last count with a few minutes left he, in the fourth. He hit 40 on the dot. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, just from what I've seen so far with the big three, I think the biggest factor is whether they're all healthy. I mean, they're already, you know, Durant's going to miss the next two games. They're just trying to pace him. Um, but from what I've seen when those three are on the court and the rest of the 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 side, the cast of characters – well, not characters, but um, the other pieces to it are good enough at this point to me that uh, they, if they're at their best, no one can beat them is my view. Yeah, I think ultimately I would probably lean Philly in this situation, and that petrifies me to say that, but I do think, <laughs> I mean, I just a team that's been so disappointing over the last several years, I just... I can't help but think Embiid's season is real and and he's a guy that is really is transcendent in his capabilities offensively and defensively. And I think you're right. The rest of the roster, they just have a lot of bodies. I mean, even Seth Curry, you mentioned he kinda you gotta hide him and he's shooting forty five percent from three and but defensively he's got some issues. I mean the benefit of a player like him is he knows what to do and he actually tries. I mean, that's like Right, I forget the kind of the analysis of defense, but it's the three-legged stool, right? It's like, it's it's like physical capabilities, it's effort, and it's like knowledge, head knowledge, and he has two of them. Like he clearly kind of pays attention. He clearly knows where he's supposed to be, and yeah, he gets kind of manhandled at times. But um, I think if that's your worst defender on the floor, you're going to have a pretty good defense, and they clearly do. Um, and coupled that with the capabilities of a guy like Embiid and the shooters they have around him. I mean, really it's probably going to come down to a guy like Simmons and what type of series he ultimately does have uh, on the offensive end. But right now, if I'm making that choice, I, th- I think I lean Philly. Rye, where do you find yourself? Yeah, it's tough because I just don't know if the Sixers have enough. Like you're saying offensively to, you know, make the Nets pay. So it would really come down to Simmons and Harris and how they play. Harris has been playing very well offensively. He's been, you know, relatively efficient and doing a lot of positive stuff. But Simmons, I mean, I really – I'm still on the Simmons bandwagon, but, you know, 13, 8, and 8, you know, they're not going to win – they're not going to beat the Nets if he, if he does that in the series. He really has to just – you know, play with the aggressiveness we haven't seen yet from him. So I, I would probably lean Except Nets. tonight. Except right, tonight. he did have 40, 42 points. Yeah, no, exactly. Embiid, Embiid goes out and he just goes crazy. It's like, you can, I know, I know you don't fit perfectly with Joel, Ben, but you can still drive to the basket and try and dunk what he's playing there too. It's okay. You know, it'll work out. Um, so that's why we were saying earlier, I still don't understand the Rockets not, I know it's just one game, but to, to not see the potential of a guy who in Simmons who doesn't fit perfectly with Embiid and needs open floor, especially at a franchise who just did the same thing with 
Russell Westbrook, where they made him the center. They played him at center on offense just from the perimeter. They said, you're the guy who's going to have the whole – everyone else is going to shoot, and you're going to have the whole paint to do what you want in it, right? That's how the Sixers play and beat. He has the paint. They try and play everyone else around him. Westbrook was in that position. Simmons could have been in that position. It's not like he's going to score 42 every night, but you give him open space, like good things happen. And so I'm hopeful that he can, you know, continue to grow. I still believe in you, Ben. Still, maybe I should switch the other way, and then he would Royce Royce O'Neal me. (laughs) But uh, you know, I I think I think he uh, he has more to grow. But I, I would lean Brooklyn. Just just the offense is just so good. And it, I think it would be hard. They would be able to find mismatches, especially if they do go small. But I agree, Jeff Green is is so tricky because he he would allow Embiid to, you know, play his game, and so it would be a chess match. I'm moving on to my last one that I I got really excited about, and this is a maybe some recency bias, but I think it does make a lot of sense in terms of it, why it would be a fun series. Now it's a series we'll never get. And I mean, there's a very low probability, but Portland and Dallas in a seven game series <laughs> would be awesome. I mean, it would be just so fun uh, to watch. Stressful. They run similar <laughs> systems, right? Oh, we're Doncic, the Carlisle guy. You're right. That's a good point. I mean, Doncic and uh, Lillard sort of play similar roles on their teams, right? I mean, it's just it's fun to watch those two teams kind of go at it. Those teams are all, those games are always fun. And so to have those two guys and those two teams go at it for seven would just be, I think it'd just be a blast. I mean, as a relatively, I mean, I go, go Blazers. Right. But I a relatively neutral third party, obviously Derek, you may have some mixed feelings, uh, but Portland might have their hands full, no matter who they're facing in the playoffs uh, co- coming up, assuming they make it, which I think they're going to, they're in pretty good position. So, uh, but it is uh, that would be a fun one. It, it, D. Speaking of the Blazers, is there a team you would, you know, within reason that you you would want the Blazers to face in the playoffs? It probably. Uh, let's see. I mean, the Mavericks have to get in there, right? Um, which they're still on the outside looking in. Sure. Yep. So, but I feel like if we did have, I mean. You know, CJ, if we were relatively healthy, I would actually be fine with the, the matchup against the Mavericks. I feel like we've done pretty well against them. I mean, we've had a lot of close games. Um, but uh, but as I'm looking at the thinking of the other teams, I'd probably go that direction. I certainly don't want to play the Jazz. The Nuggets were are interesting, but I don't want to go through another uh, seven-game struggle with them. So... In terms of, I'm just mostly looking at it through possible ease of victory. Um, I, I think even though we've had some good games against them, the Mavericks still might be the best matchup. But I feel like there's a team I'm missing. Anybody else you can think of that would be a good matchup against the Blazers? I mean, the Mavericks may not even make the playoffs. I mean, you, you look yeah. at their you look at their roster, and they had Porzingis back, kind of playing decently well in the game against the Blazers. But you look at the cast, the supporting cast 
is not is not really giving you a lot of faith in their potential to no. keep keep going. <laughs> I mean, if you remember, Seth Curry is not walking through that door. So <laughs> that's true. But it's just like Jalen. The best Brunson, version Tim of Hardaway. Porzingis is not walking through that door too. I guess. Right, and I think that's the key <laughs> thing. I think if he does that, then they can do it. But it's 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 if if we have Doncic hits threes, we were talking about it last week. It's if Doncic hits a good percentage of threes, they're just impossible to stop but he has to do it because the other guys don't you know it's like they just depend on these guys that have real deficiencies offensively and there's there's nobody else really so you're saying relying on dorian finney smith to hit a lot of threes is not a great offensive strategy is that what i'm hearing i mean it was a good offensive strategy against the blazers he he shot he shot four out of seven but it's it's, (laughs) yes generally not the case and you know, it's it's just it's just who who are these guys? I mean, you know, Clyber, Josh Richardson, Jalen Brunson, Tim Hardaway Jr., Willie Cauley Stein. I mean, when Trey Burke is your offensive difference maker, you know, the yeah. the JJ Barea role, it's just not a good, just not a good sign. Yeah, but, it's the Mavericks. I want to play the Mavericks. <laughs> I just hope it. for the Blazers that they they get McCollum back and Nurkic back and have some time to coalesce because, you know, they they did no training camp. They had this new mix of guys cj was playing crazy well lillard's lillard i just hope they come back early enough where they can kind of see what they have because i think they're a team they're just hanging around they have their records probably better than their actual it's definitely better than their net rating right now but it would be fun to see them coalesce and then see what they could do i mean i think you want to avoid the healthy lakers or clippers I mean, I would probably rather play the Jazz than them even now just because I just think the Jazz, it's amazing how good their defense is doing. Like, they're, I think they're the best defense in the league right now, and it's a lot of Gobert. But you look at the individual defenders they have outside of him, it's really Royce O'Neal. And the rest of the guys are, are guys you can go at. You, you know, I mean, maybe I mean Clarkson's playing out of his mind, so maybe he's maybe we've become a first-team All-Defensive player too. Wait, hold on, you, you're, you're trying to use logic when it comes to assessing the Jazz. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Joe Ingles. It doesn't matter. Has, tr- has transformed into 2014 Kawhi. So. Well, that is a great. I think that's a great point. Is that four-five matchup in the West? I mean, it's going to be a total war, but it's a you have a better chance of winning that matchup than you do against any of these other top three seeds, which, I mean, it just sure seems like the West, that top three, regardless of the order that it ultimately shakes out in, right. barring some sort of disaster, those are the top three teams, right? And and as much as we might be skeptical of the Jazz and they're, you know, both offensively and defensively, Gobert is still going to be, you know, in the same way Harden and Doncic are top, you know, 10 walking offenses. I mean, Gobert is always going to anchor an elite defense. And so that to me is, is, is a death nail for any team in that six, seven, eight, right? The playing teams in the sixth seed, I mean, you really don't want to be that sixth seed in a lot, in, in a lot of ways, right? It's seemingly you're going to run into the Clippers or maybe the Lakers if, if AD's out for a while. And that is obviously going to be a problem. In, in all likelihood, whereas that four five matchup at least gives you a chance to have a really fun sort of first round series, whether it's, you know, Phoenix or Denver or Portland or whoever it ends up being, I mean, that, that one will be pretty fun. Um, 
And truth be told, when I kind of led this segment with Phoenix Denver, I sort of imagined that to be the four five matchup. So uh, if Portland Portland right now, as of today, is the five seed, um, and and oddly enough, the six seed is the San Antonio Spurs. Spurs. So, I was going to uh, say, I think they deserve a shout out from us. They're back. They're, I mean, maybe for now. We'll see. But uh, they, that team is crazy to me. They just the way they've sort of reset just to be competitive. I mean, I just, I, I imagine them to be much more in the sort of like Minnesota, Oklahoma city sort of realm of the, of the Western conference. And they are very much in the thick of things. So that'll be, be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, and if they can kind of hold on because obviously Dallas is not in the mix. New Orleans has made a little bit of a run until the a little three games slide here in the last week. But um, you know, Memphis is knocking on the door and then golden state, you know, they, they obviously rumor has, it has another move to make. I mean, and that's probably the biggest variable here going in. Ryan, you mentioned Drummond earlier as a potential buyout candidate or a trade piece Griffin, you know, depending on how much he has left in the tank, it could be something, but you know, New Orleans is also another team. I mean, Reddick is basically out of the rotation. I think at this point, as I most recently saw, I mean, presumably in, in preparation for some sort of trade to see where he goes, you know, I I know he's kind of up there in years, but Reddick is another guy that I think is a pretty interesting piece. If he shows up and plays, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game for a contender, is there any specific team that you, is there any specific team you'd really want to see Reddick on golden state? They need shooters. (laughs) They really do. do. They do. I mean, we need to talk about Reddick just being one of the more amazing careers of this era. He's a six, four shooting guard <laughs> who has very little athletic ability in the sort of traditional basketball sense of jumping and lateral quickness. And he's played this very long career, you know, going from one of the great college players of his era to finding this role of a shooter and played in a lot of big games and done a lot of, a lot of, positive stuff i don't know how much work he has to play i mean it's just amazing to me he's played this long and this well so i would be a little worried with him that he's you know he's kind of getting there in terms of you know because his his margin of error has always been so small and he obviously works incredibly hard and he's done everything he can to perform at this level but i i just get a little worried you know, he has to come off those picks so hard and hit the hit those jumpers, man. It's like I agree. I mean, Golden State would be great for him just to play off Steph and just you know come in for twenty minutes and just hit open threes. And he could do that, and he he competes on defense. But as uh, Coach Harris would say, there is always a place for shooters. Exactly, that is that is true, man. You always have a chance. But going back to the Spurs. You know, I was reading Deontay Murray was talking about what a strong relationship he had with Popovich and how, like, Popovich had really invested in him and he learned so much from him. And most people would hear that and be, wow, Popovich is a great guy. He's so, like, advancing his years and he still relates to the young players so well. 
I look at it and I say, it's proof. Like, why is he such a jerk to the sideline reporters? He can relate to these like 23 year old players. And he just goes out of his way to be a total jerk to the people interviewing him on the sideline. It's like on purpose, Popovich. It, Everyone it's loves just you. A bit. Everyone, exactly. It's a bit gone it's awry. All a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's gone awry. But he, he plans it with them all in advance. He's like, Aldridge, I want you to ask me. If I'm happy right now, uh, after the first quarter, I want you to ask me if I'm happy. So, I really it, do think I do. Th- I, I'm going to be a here's a little bit of a hot take. I fully support Popovich being a curmudgeon on the sideline. I think those interviews, the structural components of, of how they're set up, the, the way that the TV networks want to have them at the quarter breaks are the dumbest like requirement yeah. of the league structure that that a guy of Popovich's kind of echelon is willing to just passively fight back at every time he's, you know, the first or third quarter of every game he's, he participates in. And and clearly the sideline guys for the most part, seemingly are in on the bit. Um, At least I imagine they are (laughs) in large part. Uh, And so I, I just find myself kind of leaning in and kind of going, you know what? If this leads to some change for for why can't we reimagine how in-game conversations happen versus just asking a few rote questions of a coach who's stepping away from his huddle, you know, at the at the, at the quarter break uh, versus, you know, doing something else here that we could get a little more creative with. I, I would say we could still say Greg, but you could have been a little nicer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny that he just hates doing it, and yet there's been some classic moments that have gained a, a lot of popularity. I mean, the, when Jeff Van Gundy, who was like, I've never been so nervous in my life. <laughs> I was told I should ask you about your emotions and how you're feeling, and Popovich gives him a hug, you know, and, and Barkley tried to ask a third question, <laughs> and Greg was like, wait, no, you... You only get two questions. He's like, oh, whoops, my bad. <laughs> like Chuck, Chuck, this was collectively so, bargained in the off season, so uh, I'm not going to do that third one for you. Right. So if you're going to make it so entertaining and then say we shouldn't do these, you know, there's a little bit of a conflict there. Well, you'd, you'd think they would have, if they were going to drop it, they would have dropped it during COVID. And I think the fact that they have yeah, not dropped true. it when the, the announcers aren't even in the arena, typically, and – Sideline reporters, if at least in the bubble when they were doing it, it was like, you know, they had this huge boom mic. They were only like 20 feet away when they were doing it. I mean, it's incredibly awkward. The thing that I hate about it is you miss gameplay because they come – it feels like they always come yeah, back late yeah. from the break. Yes, the game's true. starting, and they do the picture in the picture with the interview, and the coach is just like glazed over deer in the headlights. And even the coaches who engage with it, it's just – yeah, I agree with, I agree with you guys that – it is it is worthless, and you know it's just crazy that everyone loves Popovich, like the players, like people in the front office, like he's just like it's just yeah. I mean it's 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 really cool to see what he has done with these guys and, and R.C. Buford. I mean picking these guys, you know that what they're having to do is is do what they did when they were putting pieces around Duncan without Duncan. You know they're finding these guys, you know Dante Murray and. Um, the other younger players they're bringing along. I mean, there's definitely guys like, I mean, Keldon Johnson we talked about last week. Um, Derek Lon- White. Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker. Have some, 
stuff going on. I mean, they have this group of like mid twenty somethings, early twenty somethings that can all play. It's just going to be really interesting to see, you know, with Lamarcus falling off and DeRozan having a great year. Like, when does this transition happen, and 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 how do they keep growing it? But it's been fun to watch. Yeah, I feel like there was a few years there where it was like, all right, the Spurs are done, and then everybody was underselling them, and they kept surprising us. And then because last year was the year that they finally didn't make the playoffs, it was like, all right, now finally it's over, and then here they are rising again. But Well, the okay. amazing thing – okay, the amazing thing with San Antonio is that they unequivocally received the worst package for a superstar, I think maybe in the history of the NBA. I mean, our first-round pick, a late – First round pick from Toronto yeah. in the year they won the title. DeRozan and Pirtle, who like you know is going to get like a mild extension on his rookie deal. I mean, what a does that that entire trade is a total disaster, and they're still relatively relevant here in the Western Conference. I mean, again, we'll see how it shakes out, but I just that that persistence is just I don't it's just crazy. I mean, the Spurs are going to Spurs, right? No, exactly. It, and I, the other part of it is they also signed like the worst big free agent of recent history. I mean, Aldridge was okay in the beginning, but he is not, you know, th- that was their big free agent signing and he has not worked out there. I mean, he, again, the first couple of years he was good, but then it's just sort of fallen off. And can you imagine them with Kawhi? If Kawhi had just stayed there and they brought these, they had Kawhi right now with all of these young guys. I mean, they'd be pretty good, you know? I mean, they'd be, like, really good. He's so good. And, you know, just the fact that they lost him and, and, and that whole drama they went through is just, it's just too bad because they, they had it. That, that's the thing is they had it. They had a top-five player post-Duncan that they, that they got in the way they did, trading George Hill, getting him after, out to the lottery, and then, you know, fate intervened and – you know, they're rebuilding on the fly with a bunch of young guys. So we'll see what happens. All right, guys. Well, we started off talking about the Blazers. So we're going to end with the Blazers in a trivia question here. Let's do it. The score is, I believe, if the research department is correct, it's 8 to 5. Sound about right? Yes. Good enough. Yes. <laughs> Mitch Richmond. Michael Mitch Richmond says yes. <laughs> Okay, guys, who holds the Blazers' all-time record for most career assists? Is it Damian Lillard, Clyde Drexler, Damon Stoudemire, or Terry Porter? Terry Porter. Same. Same. You guys are right again. Gosh. (laughs) I knew that one again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this really backfired on the whole. Let's uh, let's get these questions a little bit easier. Uh, we, we just go from one extreme to the other, so oh it's going to be really hard next week. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, re- thanks a lot, Rex Chapman. <laughs> Drexler is second, Lillard is third, and Stoudemire is fourth. David Stoudemire, who we're learning as we all read this book together, was. Had one of the top ten biggest contracts in the NBA when he was like the fifteenth best point guard. So it's like, 
He had a good, a- good agent. <laughs> he was like the he was like the last man standing of the uh, of that crew that was has been coined the jail blazers. I I didn't I forgot that he stuck around as long as he did before. I think he was either traded to Memphis or signed with Memphis. But the albatross of a, a contract. I mean, Paul, yeah. Paul Allen right. was signing contracts. I mean, rest in peace, but he was signing contracts with his gigantic yacht, maybe the helicopter on top of the yacht or something. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, my apologies to Damon Stoudemire. We did run out of time for him, but uh, <laughs> at least we gave him some air time. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.